0: Matthew 3, 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey, I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn, and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. The kids are invited to Kids Church with Emily. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the fleshing fork, gathering his wheat into barn and burning the shaft with unquenchable fire. It's what Ray read to us from the Gospel of Matthew, and nothing says Merry Christmas like that. Um, this is, uh, I don't know, I know some of you know the movie Home Alone. The, the John said, you know, you brood of bright birds, which sounds a lot like Merry Christmas, you you filthy animals, you brood of vipers, John. John comes on the scene in a very different way. Um, and it's this disjunction that we live in with Advent, is, is that the world is sort of in the midst of the Christmas season. It's celebrating. It's looking um, as if Christ has come. Um, and, and that's what we do during the Christmas season, the season after Advent. Um, but there's this time in which we find it appropriate to place ourselves in exile, to place ourselves in hearing the stories as if that's not our future yet. There's also a way, and this is this dual vision of of Advent that makes it um, a challenging time in the church season, is that we also are looking for the world that is yet to come. This Sunday, the the main theme, I think, the message will be more about hope. But what's interesting is that it's, it's a coming kingdom that's pronounced in the Psalms. It's pronounced in Isaiah. And John, in the book of Matthew, says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's being announced is a whole other world, a whole other place. And if you were listening along, the Isaiah reading that um, William read for us, it shows up most sharply there the wolf will lie with the lamb, the children will put its hands into the, to the nest of the snakes, that, that there will be none of this on the holy mountain of the Lord, begins to name that this world isn't that world yet. You jump right into Christmas, you miss that we still live in the midst of those struggles, that this world isn't that world yet. It's important for us to be honest, um, The church, at times, has had its time at being honest about the world. And there are times in which we think, if we're in charge, we can rightly order the world, and the world will be fine. And that never works. That we wait someone outside of us to do this. All those prophecies, all those teachings aren't like, so you will be able to do this. But that one is coming who will be able to do this. And that's the challenge we live into. And so as John announces that Jesus is going to come among us in the Gospel of Matthew, he's doing two things. He's announcing that for us to be able to sit as Israel to say, what is going to gather in the Gentiles, which are us? What is going to expand to that Abrahamic blessing that I will bless you so that you will be a blessing to the nations in a way that we are included in that world, that we are invited into that space? What will do that? And that's what John announces. John's threatening passages, while well, a warning for the church today, I think, too, are about this idea in which we, in, in the time, there was this tendency to think we are the ones. We are complete. We have become Israel, the faithful ones. And what John says is that's up for God to decide. The church doesn't face that temptation at all. We never think we're the faithful, perfect ones. <laughs> That is not true. Um, I I needed a a laugh uh, light at times just to say, I did not mean that. That was sarcasm, uh, which probably is hard to communicate in a sermon. Anyways, um, but the songs we sang, um, particularly that last one that Rachel led us in, the canticle of the turning, has this massive vision of the world. This idea in which things will be overturned. It's based somewhat off of Mary's song, too, but it's got a lot of prophetic literature in it, too, is this idea that the world will be turned around someday. And that is not our world yet. And so the reason why we, we stretch out into Advent, where we have this time, is to remind us of that. Christmas we celebrate as the great and glorious time in which Christ has come amongst us. That is true, and we live into that deeply in that time. The Sundays leading up to that we try to try to admit that that is not our world yet. So, quote as I was reading this week talked about the challenge of advent. The church is on the long haul living in that difficult time between one advent when Christ came amongst us and the next. In such times we are all the more dependent on a community that tells us we live between the times. That it, it is all too easy to lose sight of the way the world is now that God has come. Because we know something about the direction in which the world is moving. We are encouraged by that picture and guided by the dis- shape of its depiction of the way things are now. That God has redeemed the world in Jesus Christ. That we sit in this tension of, of which we are pulled in two ways by Advent. Um, and I think that, that's a hard thing for us to do. Because we hear Isaiah's teaching today, we hear the psalmist about reshaping the world, and we want that world so bad, and yet that world is not our world yet. So we sit in lonely exile, as Israel does, and we await the fullness of that time and the second coming. Uh, Kim, Kim gave me a hard time about this image that I use once. She said, You never change it. I was like, What? It's perfect. <laughs> uh, a, at least you got that one as a joke. But I did add one in the middle, which is the church, is that we look um, during this time towards backwards, towards that time in which God comes in a manger and shapes the world again. That we get that foretaste, and that's what brings the Gentiles in. And then the second, we we look towards that return when Christ returns on a stallion. See it? Um, Abstract uh, Picasso. I like it. Um, There's this uh, way in which which we look forward to that time well as well. And what I never added into it until this year is that we also exist with Christ among us in the church today. And this is what Paul talks about in Romans, is that hope is present to us now. That hope is near to us now. Like we talked about last Sunday, is that knowing how the world is and looking honestly at it, we have two choices often in the modern world. We either move towards that idea of modernism again, of, of that the world is just progressing and getting better. That the point of human life is to continue on this journey in which we um, will have eradicated death ourselves um, and there's a darkness to that in the modern world we we um uh, for instance you, you take some of the countries in europe that that talk about the goodness that they've done in eradicating sort of um, diseases that affect children in, in the womb so that they grow up with say Down syndrome or something like that. And what they mean is they've mandatory ma- made mandatory in utero testing so that those children are not born. The modern idea of progress that we're walking towards this this new life of like where there will be no disease has a dark underbelly and that maybe we can eliminate those people who we would rather not be with before they are born. So, Modernism has kind of failed us in many ways. Um, Canada now has ads um, directed towards doctor-assisted suicide, ways to make peace with death since we know we can't overcome it. That then can lead us to despair. This is a bit of the postmodern condition. The idea that that if this world can't lead, it's not a direction towards progress of goodness in which all things will be fulfilled, then what we have left is despair. But what Christians have in that place from the Apostle Paul is hope. Hope that something will come from the outside, that's the key, Something not within our technological systems, something not within our world leader systems, something not within our own ingenuity, but something from God will come and set the world to rights. And that's what puts us in the position of hope today. And so, I just want to walk through the, the passages that we had relatively quickly today, focusing on the Romans at the end. Matthew, John comes among us announcing the kingdom of God. There's a great preacher's joke that Jesus and John came announcing the kingdom of God and the world got the church. Um, that, that they announced this new kingdom, this new way in which things will be, and instead the church has come and taken its place. And, The funny part about that is, or the truth about that is, is is that the church often has forgotten that it is the herald and the sign of that kingdom. It is not the kingdom, but it is that which has has sort of been in the position of being able to announce it. And we announce it in song during the season often. Announce it in the ways in which we sing. And the songs that, that have gone out into culture, too, we hear it there. It's a deep, resonant hope as it goes out in song. But it is not the kingdom itself. But the church aims to live and be such a way that it can at least claim to be a sign or something pointing to that. And John's message comes from us. as This one in the book of Isaiah. And he gathers people there for a baptism of repentance, awaiting a stronger one. This, too, is our world. It's that we wait the stronger one. But what I often find interesting too is that, is that as we talk about Jesus as our Lord and Savior or Jesus becoming um, our, our life and our all, we often forget that there's this territory language that comes with it. There is a kingdom. There is a sphere. There is a way in which the world will be radically altered through that. So often I think um, we've and I include myself in this, is that we move Jesus into this sort of small, sort of personal relationship that lives within us. But it also comes with this new kingdom that is hand. The king comes with a kingdom, a territory, a place, um, a way in which it's going to reset the world. And that's the challenge that we move into in this season. We try to see that kingdom trace its shape and outline. Isaiah, in that reading that William read for us, reshapes the whole world. There's, there's this notion which the whole world has been flattened, and yet there's a small branch of life that's going to spring up. And in that small branch of life comes this one who will judge correctly. Judge correctly. Who will bring peace on earth who will change the, the natural order of things in which animals consume each other into a relationship of peace among them. The kingdom just got bigger. The kingdom and the territory has more of an idea of what it is going to do. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, for all the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. It's the day we await and we look forward to in that new world. In this closing line, in that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples, the nations will rally to him, and the resting place will be glorious. This is the hope of Israel. Not that itself would become the perfect land all other people excluded, but that it would become the banner for peoples that the nations will rally to so too correct in our time, it is the hope for the church. The church wants to be a sign in the world that others rally to. But it's a banner where this place and harm don't take place anymore. That the church might be the place that cares for one another in a different way. The church might be the place that has time and space for others. I was reading... um, a book by Carl Barth this week, and he was, he was um, talking about how the church often is able, the distinctive part about the church is it's able to ignore the world's idols. And the world has rarely thanked it for that. Um, that the church, as we look at the ideologies and the obsessions of the age, because we've heard something different, we're able to ignore those things. Don't always get thanked for that world will try to rouse us to whatever it thinks is most important. But the church has the patience and the hope and the endurance in Paul's language to resist. And in that way, we can be something different, something which Isaiah is alluding to. The psalm, too, speaks of a king, of a new rule, of a new way in which things will be. This week has a lot of talking about the ways in which the world will be radically changed. But the reading, as is, is we've talked about this year, is the, we have four readings every Sunday. The one that, that I was trying to focus on for this season is the one which comes from the later part of the New Testament. The, it's Romans, Romans, I think uh, James, oddly, next week, and then back to Romans. Romans. Um, Uh, But we're going to focus on those readings, and the one from Romans this week is interesting. It's it's got a unique flavor to it, and it's changed because it's read during this time rather than another time. If you read it in a different time, you might expand it, one, but two, you might also have a different thing you take from it. But what does it mean to read it on the Sunday in which we're hearing about this kingdom that's coming, that we're waiting this one? And one of the amazing parts about the New Testament that we lose so easily is it exists and the cross pressures that Christ is going to return. It is imminent to them that that is going to happen. It is their daily hope and their daily driver. And it's so often something that we can forget about in our daily lives, but but they kept it at the forefront of their lives. Now, uh, New Testament scholars will argue it's easier when you're that close to the time, um, but I'm not sure that's true. Um, Uh, I think it's, it's a challenge to wake up every day and expecting that new kingdom to come. And if you can, different options exist for you. Different ways of being in the world become relevant. The narratives that we have in our culture, whether it be Uh, consume all that you can, store up all you can, uh, get the biggest house, get the biggest car, get the biggest bank account, make the perfect Christmas. I mean, some of them aren't so benign, but if you get into that mindset upon which that there is one who is coming that will renew the face of the earth, that will wipe every tear, that will banish death, that will change things, time has a different relationship to you. space, the the way in which we order ourselves has a different relationship to us. So that is the challenge of hearing the New Testament in this time is, is only some of the later portions that are written by biblical scholar's language, which... You never know if they're quite making it up sometimes because it changes every 100 years or 50 years on what they're trying to say. But um, the later portions sometimes settle into that, that Christ's return is not as imminent as we expected. And yet their grounding line still is, be prepared, keep watch. Um, they, they expected it so imminent that, that some of them um, refused to work. Uh, this because one of Paul's problems that, that um, if you don't work, you don't eat. Um, that that we need this way of saying participating in the world. There is, And that, I think, is is a notable thing. I think we do see this in the church sometimes. When the church has a tendency to become so obsessed with the return, it can begin to abandon the world and its state. Um, So much so, like I said, that people at this time said, well, I don't have to work because it might be coming tomorrow. Um, But this type of hope grounds us back into the world. It's not meant to remove us from it but to place us back into it. With the reading that Emily read, and it was great the way that William read those passages from the Old Testament, I didn't tell them to do that, but it is layered with those Old Testament promises as well. We heard about the root of Jesse in Isaiah and in that reading as well, which is this new king from David. Um, but for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance um, taught in the scriptures and encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Passage as was selected for us begins and ends in hope. And the first instance of hope is this he's writing to a community that is both Jewish and Gentile. And so when he says the scriptures at this point, he means the Old Testament only. There is no New Testament. And he's reminding them that what was written for them was an encouragement that, that they would have hope, that they would have encouragement and endurance from that. I think endurance and encouragement are the the key words there because encouragement reminds us that that they awaited promises once, and so we are encouraged to wait for promises again being fulfilled. And the endurance, which is an honest statement, is that Israel waited a long time for the revelation of what came in that. And so we too look back to those scriptures to be encouraged in endurance so that we may last, too. Paul goes through other teachings there, um, and he talks about how uh, he's, Christ has become the servant of the people who were given the promise. Christ becomes the servant of the Jews to bind all people in, to be that banner which calls forth people towards this community, these people. And then for the Gentiles, um, That they may glorify God in his mercy. That we come together and glorify God. Earlier he says in one mind and one voice in that passage. The season in which we sing, we have that one mind and one voice upon us. This is uh, perhaps the church's season most of singing because these songs we know both from interior of the church and in the culture too. That we would sing with that way and that one voice Augustine has uh, a phrase that that whoever sings his prayers, uh, prays twice. Whoever sings his prayers, prays twice. Whoever brings one voice to the church, this unity, this community, does so twice. I think it's also him, and I can't remember if it's him or Calvin, who talks about how singing lifts us up out of ourselves. The shortest saying of the Desert Fathers is, Look up, not down. Um, which I don't think is an invitation to optimism. It's an invitation to say, look at what God is doing. Look at where God has placed you. Look up into the truths that are radiant from that spot. As if we look across the aisle sometimes, all we do is get mad. Um, all we do is get frustrated. But if our eyes are bound to one above us, we begin to find different ways of being But the center of the passage is is really one I wanted to focus on, although it ends with that, uh, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope and power of the Holy Spirit. But in the NIV, the middle of the passage, verse 7, says, Accept one another, then, just as Christ has accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. I don't like that language, accept one another, partially because... um, Acceptance today can look like tolerance. Um, the older translations say welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. And I think that speaks louder is, is that if you say Christ has accepted me, it sounds like he's like, yeah, you miserable person, get on the bus too. You're fine. Um, he accepts us as if begrudgingly. Um, maybe some people have strong notions of acceptance. Acceptance to me always sounds weak um, but to be welcomed to be brought in that has strong language and there's this there's a way in which you try to think about what is the church it's those who have been welcomed by somebody else it's those who have been welcomed by somebody else that sets us in a different spot It's not those who have found the inerrant truth all by themselves. It's not those who have reasoned themselves into the perfect religion. It's not those who have been morally capable of standing up. It's those in the midst of the difficulties and trials and challenges and idolatries of life that Christ has come and welcomed them in. We aren't a people who have made much we are a people who are welcomed. It should disground us some. What is true about the church, Defiance Church and other churches and other places is that they are people gathered because somebody welcomed them before they knew how to welcome other people. Paul has this way of doing this often in his letters is that he'll say because Christ has done something, you should do it as well. It's almost within our possibility then, but it's also we have a model before us. The Christ has done this, you can do it as well. And so during this season, we hear that we are ones welcomed first. Tim Keller has this great phrase that before the gospel is advice, it's news. The news of this passage is that you have been welcomed. The advice and I don't think it's a advice in this case is so that you may welcome others, that we may welcome other people into our places, our homes, our houses, there be, be people that can be, um, in some taste, in some minor way, a sign or revelation of what God is going to do when Jesus returns. Because Christ, in His infinite mercy, has welcomed me, I, in my limited ways, can welcome someone whom I did not expect to welcome. And this radically changes things. This last image that I want to share, um, I've shared before, but I think it captures well. Um, This is an altarpiece. it begins with an I, and I'm not going to attempt to announce the name. I can tell you the name. I can write out the name for you after the service. Uh, Isenhelm. Uh, it sounds like something from the Lord of the Rings, actually, the altarpiece. Um, uh, Isendor, which is not the name of the altarpiece. That one is actually from the Lord of the Rings. Um, it's a beautiful altarpiece, um, and it captures a lot of the gospel story. But um, there have been many theologians who have argued that The church finds itself in this altarpiece. The church finds itself somewhere in there. And where they argue that the church is found in this place is at the tip of the finger of John. We point to the one who is going to come, we are not the one who is going to come. The, the Latin phrase, I believe, behind there is, he must increase and I must decrease, by the way. Um, Christ welcomed us. We point to the one who welcomed and are welcomed. We, this season, through our hope, are not drawn into the hope of being the savior of the world. Somebody already has that job. But it's our hope that the church may be able to come to the place of being able to point to that one. And as we point, I do, I do think we're not um, without hope. Paul, Paul would say we have hope that this will overflow in our hearts. But in our pointing, that we begin to then become what we're looking to. Look up, not down. We don't make it through our own plans devices, or schemes. We make it through looking to the one who came in that shape and form. The one who welcomes us so that we can welcome others. And so as Paul finishes, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. God, you have painted a picture of a new world for your church. And as we look to the pattern of your son, to when he came to this world, we see the outlines and the contours of that world in his life and ministry. We see the outlines and that contours of that world in the Old Testament scriptures too that point to that renewal day. We feel that in the hope through your spirit in the church. That is what we aim at, that that is what we look to, that that is where we place our hope. And so to God, meet us in that spot. We know the world is not as it should be. And so we look to you. We await not with despair, not with optimism in modern progress and technological solutions, but with the hope that says something will come from the outside and bring renewal to the face of the earth. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.